Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. You, you can be seated. Uh, so, we all love change, right? It's our, it's our favorite thing. Uh, so we're, we're changing it up this morning. As I was finishing uh, the message this morning, or just going over it again in my office, and I could, could hear the, the worship team practicing their, uh, their worship, at, as I got to the tail end of the message, I just felt like God said, uh, that's the response. That's the response to this morning's message. And so uh, I was like, okay, <laughs> so we're going to flip it all. And so I came out here pretty quick to try to give them a heads up, and they were very gracious uh, of my request. And so, so that's why I'm up here right now, and some people will come in here in a few moments and be confused. But they'll catch on, <laughs> they'll catch on as we go get, get through the service. Well, before we get into the message, I just want to uh, take a moment to remind you that we have a special guest speaker coming to Lampasas to host a wellness workshop. The Ministerial Alliance is uh, participating with us in this event. Uh, the speaker's name is Amy Spears, and Amy is a licensed professional counselor. She's also a very strong believer. Uh, she is going to equip those that attend the seminar with tools and methods to deal with depression, anxiety, stress, anger, addiction, grief, trauma, and other mental health areas. The whole community is invited to attend, both adults and youth. Unfortunately, there's no age limit on these types of struggles, and the enemy attacks us all. And so uh, we want everyone to come to this event that uh, needs assistance in these areas and healing. Uh, The community event is going to be held Saturday, January 21st. Uh, at the high school cafeteria from 6 to 7.30 p.m. There's flyers in the foyer that look like this, and we would love for you to pick one up and also help us get the word out to your friends and uh, coworkers and anybody that you may think would gain from that opportunity. This is a great opportunity for us to reach out to those in need of an encounter with Jesus. And our invitation could be the one that leads them to an opportunity to know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ for themselves. Amy will also be our special guest speaker for both Sunday morning services on uh, January 22nd. And I guarantee you won't want to miss that. And it will be uh, different than what she shares uh, at, the, at the seminar on the 21st. Well, this morning we're continuing our series on patient faith. If you have your Bible with you this morning or the Bible app, you can go to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And in this passage, James outlines how patience is produced through the testing of our faith. He wrote, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Patience is steadfastness. It's constancy and endurance. It includes waiting, but it's broader than that. It's the characteristic that gives us the ability to stay on track, to stay on course, regardless of the trials or testings or sufferings that we may encounter. It's obvious that having this type of patience would be of great value in our lives. 
And it's important that we know that this type of patience isn't something that we can acquire in our own strength or power. It's developed in us by God. Our patience muscle grows a little each time our faith is tested. That's why James encourages us to count these trials and testings all joy. Our focus this morning is going to be on having patient faith in the middle of suffering. Having patient faith in any circumstance is difficult, but it may be most challenging in the middle of suffering. The testing and trials that James refers to could be considered suffering. And that will be more clear in a moment when we look at the definition for suffering. These tests and trials show us the state of our faith. It is in the middle of adversity and affliction and suffering that the current state of our faith in God is revealed. But these tests accomplish much more than that. The tests and trials of our faith produce supernatural patience in us. Elizabeth Elliot was a well-known missionary and writer and speaker. She was also a woman who was very well acquainted with suffering. And this is how she defined suffering. She said, suffering is having what you don't want or wanting, wanting what you don't have. What she liked about this definition is that it is all-inclusive. Every type of suffering, from the most minor to the greatest suffering, can fit this description. Before we move on, we need to remember that this physical life that we inhabit is temporary. In James 4.14, the same book where our primary passage is found, we are reminded that our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Everything that we see and feel is temporary. Only the kingdom of God is permanent and will last forever. And keeping this in mind helps us keep things in a proper perspective. Life seems to hand us a host of circumstances and experiences, experiences many that we would prefer not to have. Remember, those things that we would prefer not to have can qualify as suffering. And we have virtually no control over the circumstances and experiences that come our way. But there is one thing that we can control. And that is our response to those circumstances and experiences. With patient faith, we are much more likely to respond properly. We can be confident that God is doing a work in and through us in the middle of those trials and tests and sufferings. A work that will last forever, far beyond this temporary physical life. In 1 Peter 5.10, the Apostle Peter wrote these words, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. While what we suffer in this world may seem immense and even overwhelming, Peter reminds us that we are only here for a little while. And that God, the God of all grace, who has called us to eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. We can count on him. We can trust him. 
in the middle of our suffering, however great or small. Peter's words reminded me of the passage that we read last week in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. And it's a promise from God. He said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. God has not promised us that we would not suffer in this world. Actually, it's quite the opposite. But what he has promised is that he will be with us and that this suffering will only be for a little while. He is with us now and he will be with us for all eternity if we have a relationship with him. I shared a definition of suffering that was written by Elizabeth Elliot. And now I want to share a little bit more of her testimony. Elizabeth was the daughter of missionaries and she became a missionary herself. She would later marry a missionary by the name of Jim Elliott in late 1953. She and Jim had one daughter and had just been married for two years when Jim was killed. And he was killed in the mission field along with four other men while trying to share the gospel with a remote tribe in Ecuador. Elizabeth would continue in the mission field along with her daughter after the death of her husband. And two years later, she went to live among the same Indians who killed her husband to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. She would be a widow for 16 more years after that before she remarried. And she was married to her second husband for just three and a half years before he would be diagnosed with cancer. And unfortunately, he would pass away shortly after that diagnosis. These are just two of the many sufferings that Elizabeth endured during her life. And she would say that while she had certainly suffered, she knew many who had suffered far more. She would humbly state that she would never claim to know what others were suffering through. But she would boldly state that she knew the one who does. She came to understand that it's through the deepest sufferings that God teaches us the deepest lessons. And that's what James describes in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. We live in a fallen, suffering world, but we also live in a world that God has invaded with his love. A world in which he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer, just like we all suffer. Jesus did it perfectly and lived a life of perfect obedience to the point of suffering on the cross that we might all have a way to an eternal relationship with God the Father. That's the eternal life that Peter spoke of in 1 Peter chapter 5. And he said, yes, we suffer for a moment. But God, the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. In Psalm 55, verse 22, David encouraged us with these words. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. The original Hebrew word in this context is translated as burden, but translated literally, it means whatever is given to you or whatever your appointed lot is. 
So some things that we would consider a blessing may actually end up being something that leads us down a path to great suffering. Many people who have experienced fame and fortune, things that most would consider as a blessing, end up being miserable and suffering from the fruit that those presumed blessings brought about. If we look at this passage in the broader sense with the definition of whatever has been given to us in this life, burdens, suffering, health issues, maybe even things that we would consider blessings, abundant finances, influence, everything that has been given to us, that all of those things we can cast all in faith on the Lord, trusting that He will sustain us. And that word sustain is the verb that's used to describe God's total and complete provision. It was used describing how God provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness. One reference for sustain in that context is found in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 21. And that verse reads, Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. We can trust that God will carry us through anything. We can cast our burden on Him, whatever has been given to us, and fully trust that He will sustain us. So that day that Elizabeth Elliot would learn that her second husband had cancer was actually filled with suffering. That same day, she was also notified that the son of a very close friend had been killed in a car accident. She also had a visit from a young woman whose three-year-old son had had a serious heart condition. And she came to Elizabeth for counsel. And the doctors were unable to treat the condition until her three-year-old son would turn four. But the doctors were very clear and gave no assurance that her son would live to be four. All of these things transpired in the same day. But that morning... Prior to becoming aware of any of these circumstances, God placed a question in Elizabeth's mind. How to deal with suffering of any kind. And following that question, he gave her four answers. With no idea of what that day was going to bring, Elizabeth wrote the question and the four answers down on a scrap piece of paper. Before I share that with you, I want you to know that Elizabeth Elliot was no superhero. She would be the first to admit that. And I'd recommend uh, you read some of her books if you want more on this particular topic of of patience and suffering. Uh, I'd recommend a book that she wrote called Suffering is Never for Nothing. But I don't want you to think that she just walked through these things with no emotion or that she just gave it all to God and felt no hurt or no pain. It wasn't like that at all. After her husband's first doctor visit led to more doctor's visits and they realized the seriousness of condition, she was at a total loss. She couldn't imagine losing another husband. She cried. She prayed. She asked God why. And she hoped and prayed for a miracle of healing. A healing that would not come. But through it all, her testimony was that God was with her. 
And she came back to the word that God gave her that morning on that very difficult day. How to deal with suffering of any kind. And the first thing that he told her was to recognize it. Remember that all-inclusive definition of suffering that, that she actually gave er, and that we read earlier. Having what we don't want or wanting something we don't have. She obviously didn't want or desire her husband to have cancer. Elizabeth's suffering was very apparent. And I know many of us are suffering through things right now that are very apparent. Circumstances, illnesses, trials, and tests. Things that are present that we would rather not have. Hurt and pain that may seem totally unbearable. And there may also be some that are less obvious or even minor. But whatever level or gravity of the suffering that we are experiencing, the first step in dealing with it is to recognize it. The second thing that she wrote down was accept it. Acceptance is a key to having peace in suffering. I think Job, of Job, when I think of accepting suffering, few could claim to have suffered more than Job. Yet in the middle of his suffering, he told his wife, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Job certainly didn't enjoy any of the suffering that he experienced, but he accepted it. Remember that sometimes even what we think is a blessing can lead to suffering. Some events can be good and bad at the same time. Think of Jesus going to the cross. That same event was at one moment, in the very same moment, the best thing that would ever happen in all of human history. And at the very same moment, it was the very worst. It created the only way for us to have true healing and life and to be restored to our relationship with God the Father. But at the same time, it cost the life of the only truly innocent and perfect man. The Son of God. Who willingly came to live and suffer in our place. And we killed Him for it. The same event, the best and the worst of humanity. Accepting suffering doesn't make any sense. Neither does having all joy in the middle of tests and trials. I want us to ask ourselves these two questions this morning. How can we trust God with our whole life not knowing what may come? And the other question is, how can we trust God without knowing what gifts, both blessings and burdens, that life is going to give us? How can we trust Him if we don't know what we're going to have to go through? The answer to both those questions is the same. Because He loves you. He loves you. The will of God is love, and love suffers. That's one way that we know God's love for us, because He was willing to become a man and take upon Himself our sins, our griefs, our sufferings. If you are a father or a mother in this sanctuary right now, you know what I'm talking about. Because you have this love for your children. You suffer for your children. 
day in and day out and night in and night out, we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for them. And we would willingly sacrifice ourselves if it meant saving them. It's my life for yours. And that's the principle of the cross. That's what Jesus demonstrated. It's how he showed his love for us. My life for yours. You may be sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, none of this makes any sense. Well, Elizabeth would agree with you. She wrote these words as well. She said, although I have not found intellectual satisfaction, she's saying it doesn't make any sense. But she's found peace. The answer I say to you is not an explanation, but a person. Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. We may never understand the sufferings that we face in our lifetime in an intellectual sense. All of our cries to God for an explanation may go unanswered. Most often, God's answer to our question of why is simply, trust me. If through our trials and testing and suffering, God has produced in us some patient faith, some supernatural patience, then maybe, just maybe, we might be able to accept what He's given us. So we recognize suffering. We accept it. And the third thing that she wrote down on that scrap of paper is that we offer it to God as a sacrifice. Psalm 50, 23 says, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Not only did Elizabeth say that we need to offer it to God as a sacrifice, she also said that we need to be thankful. How can we give thanks in the middle of our suffering? Because God is still love. Nothing has changed that. God is still God. He's sovereign. He has the whole world in His hands. He isn't taken by surprise. Those are facts. But so are the sufferings and all the burdens and the horrible things that are in our life that we can hardly cope with. But God says we can give them to Him and He will be with us. I was also reminded of Joseph, another man who went through much suffering. His brothers sold him into slavery and he was falsely accused of a crime. He spent many years in prison paying for that crime that he didn't commit. And when he finally had the chance to get even with his brothers, his response was what they meant for evil, God had meant for good. And Joseph recognized that it was actually God who had sent him to Egypt. And there was a purpose for all of the suffering that he had endured. And when he had his first son in Egypt, he named his son Ephraim. And Genesis 41-52 tells us that this name Ephraim was given because God had caused Joseph to be fruitful in the land of his affliction. Fruitfulness. In the middle of affliction. Joseph 
recognized that God had blessed him in and through his sufferings. And he was thankful. Elizabeth specifically said she had never thanked God for cancer. She never thanked God that her first husband was murdered in the mission field. But she did thank God that in the middle of those situations, the world was still in his hands. And those same hands were the hands that were wounded on the cross. Remember, both a burden and a gift are given to us. Whether we want it or not. Whether we like it or not. This fallen world has a way of handing us both blessings and sufferings. And anything that we have been given is something that we can offer back to God as a sacrifice. We have to trust that the one, the only one who knows exactly what we need, even though it might not be something that we would want or desire, will be with us in the middle of those things. We can recognize that he can work in and through us in every circumstance and accomplish a good work. If we know that he loves us. And I promise you, he does. And you can trust him. Janet Stewart said, joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. If we trust in his love for us and his presence with us, we can have wholeness and comfort and even joy in the middle of any circumstance. Psalm 1611 says that in God's presence is fullness of joy. And the fourth thing that she wrote down on that scrap of paper was offer yourself with that sacrifice. Give him yourself. Lay yourself down in his hands, knowing he loves you. Put your total trust in him. Psalm 56.3 says, when I am afraid, and David wrote these words, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. God is the only one that we can put our complete and total trust in. And he's the only one that we can do that with and never be let down. I love that verse. When I'm afraid, I trust you. It doesn't mean that things are going to turn out the way that we hope. It doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. God never promised us that. But he did promise he would be with us. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He walked in our shoes, literally. And he has promised to walk with us in ours. Whatever we may have to walk through, he's promised he'll be with us. We may think that what we want or need is an explanation for what we go through. But what we need is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Our refuge, our fortress, our stronghold. As I mentioned at the beginning, we, we flipped the order of the service this morning. I felt like God said that our response this morning to his word was going to be to worship him, to praise him. And we're going to do that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to close in prayer. 
And I invite you both as we pray and as we worship to listen to the Holy Spirit. What is He saying to you? What is He speaking to you? He may even be in the process of healing something in you as we give Him praise and offer a sacrifice of praise in the middle of our suffering. Let's pray. Father, we can't begin to know or understand the suffering that's taking place in this room right now and throughout our city and throughout our world, the suffering that our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through or those that haven't come to know you yet. Most of the time, we don't even understand or comprehend the suffering that we're going through ourselves. But we do know and believe that you do. And we remind ourselves of the promise that you made through Peter. That after we have suffered for a little while, that you, the God of all grace, who has called us to your eternal glory in Christ, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Father, I pray that you would allow us to recognize the suffering in our own life. And allow us to accept it. And give us the grace and mercy to offer it back to you as a sacrifice. And most importantly of all, I pray you would give us the ability to offer ourselves, To put our whole self in your hands and trust you with all that we have and all that we are. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us as we worship him?
Thank you for listening to this week's message.